0: Welcome to the Fiction Talks podcast produced by the Center for Fiction in New York City. I'm Noreen Tomasi, Executive Director of the Center. Fiction Talks features new exclusive interviews with award-winning novelists as well as remastered recordings of literary giants who have appeared at our building in New York City. Today we're speaking with Julie Lextrom Himes, author of Mikkel and Margarita, which received our 2017 First Novel Prize. Jim Shepard, National Book Award-nominated author of The Book of Aaron, says of Mikhail and Margarita, This novel renders with astonishing authority and grace not only the oppressive monstrousness of the Soviet regime, but also the intensity and beauty of the love that is at the novel's center. Julie, I'd like to begin by having you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the book, why you decided to take on this material, and your first encounter with Bulgakov's Master and Margarita.
1: I learned of the book from my father-in-law, who worked for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and often traveled to the Soviet Union. He was a consultant for nuclear safety for their government. He came back from one of his trips and handed me the book and said they call... Mikhail Bogakov, the uh, Russian Garcia Marquez. And so I read the book, and I loved it. And like most readers, I flipped the book over to read about the author and learn the story of Mikhail Bakakov, who lived and wrote in Moscow during the 1930s and was heavily censored um, by the government to the point where very little of his work, if any, was published or performed during his time. He was primarily a playwright. The book itself, The Master of Margarita, was written as his masterpiece. He considered it his masterpiece. And after he passed away, his wife hid it for 25 years until Stalin died. It then came out in the mid-60s and was, of course, an overnight hit. So my interest in his story stemmed from the personal question I had for myself. I was starting to take my own writing seriously and recognizing how very difficult it was to write and how difficult it was to find the time to write, to find the support, and wondering, it's already hard to do this. Who does this under threat of death? Who does this when their work is so heavily censored that none of it can be um, published? And so his story to me became an opportunity to explore this personal question in a scale that um, I think few people have had to live through. So for me to write this story, to explore the question of why we write, why we create art, why is that so important to our humanity, really had to be told in his story.
0: Had you been writing a long time before you began to write this story? Had you written short stories or other novels?
1: So I think i have been trying to write most of my life, but it was um, probably about 15 years ago that I began to take my own writing seriously. I began with short stories as a way to learn the craft, um, but I think I've always had in mind that I wanted to try a novel. So it was a number of years after I read his novel that I I managed to find the time and do the research necessary to really understand his times and to understand that culture.
0: And did you find, after honing your craft writing short stories, did you find it very difficult to transition to a novel? Were there particular craft issues you confronted when you did that?
1: I think one of the things that had me most concerned about transitioning from the short story to the novel was the concept of the structure of a novel. Of course, there are many short stories that are, seem to be thematically and as big as a novel, but I think to manage a piece of this size and to make it hold together in a way um, that allowed a sense of movement for the reader and a sense of completion. I, I liken it, I, novelists, writers in general love metaphors, but to me it's like getting an ending right is like trying to land a DC-10. It's just pretty hard <laughs> to get it right. And so for me, I think that was probably my biggest concern is how was I going to manage the structure overall.
0: Dr. once said that writing a novel is like driving a car in a dense fog, and you can only see as far as the headlights allow. Do you find that to be true, or do you consider yourself more a writer who plots extensively before beginning the novel?
1: Um, So I'm I'm the former, um, and I think when I started writing it, I could jot down in three sentences what I thought was going to happen in the book. Um, in terms of what I thought the structure was going to look like. And it ended up being fairly close. But um, I wrote a first draft, and it's kind of a sprawling thing. Um, I ended up rewriting the ending a number of times before it got to a place where I wanted it to be. But yeah, I started out with the writing of the draft and then trying to figure out, did it have any shape?
0: When did you begin this novel?
1: Oh, great question. 2009.
0: That is so interesting to me because it seems so much a novel for this moment in American history, and you could not have possibly predicted that, or maybe you did predict it when you began the novel.
1: You know, it's interesting. I Again, I, I approached it because of my own personal question, but I think in writing any work, what we're striving to do is make our personal question more political or to understand it in, on a larger scale. I certainly did not predict or could not have predicted our current situation in any way, shape, or form, but I think even at that time there was a sense of, of an increasing polarization in our country at least and in the world in general, in terms of the right and the left. And so if, you know, my interest in that time was heightened by that in some way, or if I saw some intersection, I, I suppose that's possible. But yeah, it was the timing of it is rather unique, I would agree.
0: I've been thinking a lot lately about the issues of compliance and complicity, and when compliance slides over into complicity, and that was underscored for me by this novel, especially with the actions of the writers and the writers' union. They begin by being complacent and enjoying their privilege, and then they move to a place where they have become complicit in Stalin's reign of terror.
1: Yes, and I think for the people who lived at that time, many of them felt it was an exciting time, a a time of change and new beginnings. For the intelligentsia, of course, they suffered more at the hands of the regime. But at the same time, there is a sense, and, and what I was, again, interested in understanding, is what happens to essentially good people under the kind of duress of living in that time where being complicit is a means of surviving and where does the individual draw that line for themselves and how does that line move as more and more pressure is brought to bear on their lives
0: the character of Ilya in the book is interesting the secret police officer who is such a force in the lives of Mikhail and margarita And I found myself being quite sympathetic to him in many ways, despite many of the horrible things he did or was complicit in allowing. And I was curious about your choice to make him the third point in a love triangle. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes. He was a fun character to write about. From a writer's standpoint, he was a character that was interesting to me to explore. I think it brought to bear certain pressures upon Margarita as well as Gogol that for all of the sins that Ilya committed over the course of his duties and and you know his politics he was very human and expressed very human desires and needs and so I think it was interesting for me to write all three characters with him in particular, being a force as well as a player in the story.
0: At times, I felt almost more sympathetic to him than I did to Mikhail. Was that intentional?
1: It certainly is something that I wanted to play with. Bogakov, I think, like many writers, had to be selfish on some level in order to create his art. And as a writer, that's not lost on me, of course, but I think that interplay between selfishness and, and selflessness is a very interesting place, particularly in those times and those circumstances. There was a lot to work with, let's say.
0: Tell me a little bit about the character of Margarita. She's both a romantic and a very rooted, very practical character. She's interesting and very complex, a woman who changes quite a bit over the course of the novel. At least it seemed to me that she did. And she challenges the people around her in interesting ways to discover who they really are. You move fluidly between the characters in the novel. I found myself longing for the Margarita parts only because she was a mystery to me in some ways. I wonder about your thoughts about that character and how she developed over the course of the novel.
1: Margarita is one of those characters that developed for me as well. I felt as I was writing her and revising my different drafts, and there were many, I was learning more about her as she was learning about herself. In some ways, I feel as though her journey was to understand her own relevance. And certainly the time she spent in prison, and then later as she was trying to navigate the the world of the gulag, she learned more and more about herself, not necessarily nice things about herself, of course, but she had to come to certain decisions and, and make certain choices. But she is one of those characters. Michael Reynolds, who's the editor at Europa, I think she's his favorite character because in his words, she takes the book over. She sort of holds it all hostage and runs away with it in her own story. And it certainly felt that way when I was writing it. There were times I was just along for the ride trying to keep up with her.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you found Michael or how Michael found the book, how you went from finishing it and feeling you had something you could send out to the publication of the book mm-hmm. by Europa.
1: Yes. So as I mentioned, I was working on this um, for a number of years, and I believe it was in um, 2011, 2012. I was attending a writer's conference, Scrub Street. It's one of Boston's annual writers' conferences where they have agents and editors that you can meet with. And I met with an editor there who liked the first chapter. And unbeknownst to me, he was talking to Adam Shear behind the scenes and told him about this book. And it turns out Adam, who ended up becoming my agent, is a huge Bogakov fan, loves The Master Margarita. And so he emailed me and asked to see some of the book. But I felt it was too early to show him anything. So he actually was quite patient and wasn't, I think, for a couple more years before I actually showed him the first 100 pages. And then after another 100 pages, he offered to represent me. And so when the book was done, he sent it out and it landed with Europa, which for me was a perfect match. I think given their interest in translations and their interest in bringing new authors to the American public, I think it was a really interesting juxtaposition to have them publish something that... Is written by an American, but about a very different culture.
0: During that long process of writing and revising, did you have a trusted reader? Who was the person or people giving you the kind of feedback you needed, or maybe you didn't need that?
1: No, I very much did have that. I work with two particular teachers who I've met over the years, Margot Livesey and uh, Jim Shepard and I have to say when you find a teacher who just seems to speak your language and tell you exactly what you need to hear you will do anything to continue to work with them and so I'm happy to say I'm now good friends with both of them but they they read the novel each of them read the before it it went out and were able to give me wonderful feedback on what was working and what perhaps needed more work. So I've been very fortunate to work with such amazing writers and amazing teachers. Jim Shepard, I met at Fine Arts Work Center in uh, Provincetown, probably back in 2005, 2006, when I was working on short stories, and have just continued You know, to work with him over the years when I can, when he's available. And uh, Margo I met in 2009 also at Fine Arts Work Center, which is interesting. But she teaches a lot in the Boston area as well. At least she did at the time. And she was teaching a week-long novel writing course and actually read some of the first pages from the very first draft because I had just started working on this. Um, So again, just such a, a lovely person and incredibly generous teachers, both of them.
0: How did you deal with the fact that you were writing about a writer who so many people know, who so many people have read? There is a lot available about Bogakov's life, in particular, a lot of his letters, which were very
1: interesting to read, and and also particularly the letters and the journal entries of his wife, who was the basis for his margarita. I have to say, though, it wasn't so much the historical components, but really his fiction that was the basis for me. And the reason I say that when one looks at some of his major novel works, The Dead Man's Memoir, The White Guard, and then The Master Margarita, they are all highly autobiographical in the sense that you can really hear his voice, you can sense what his thematic concerns are, and he was very much also concerned with the role of art, and the role of the artist, in particular the role of the writer under the regime under which he lived. The final set, though, that really drew me to him was the collection of short stories he wrote based on his time as a country doctor, The Country Doctor's Notebook, when he was just out of the medical university and working as a, a young doctor out in the wilds of Russia. And those short stories... I connected to on a very personal level. Um, They're all written in first person. They're all written in a very simple style and very direct and straightforward. And I felt like I understood him as a physician might understand. But I think the crux of your question really gets to I'm telling a story about a writer who is suffering under censorship, but taking a very different turn in terms of plot than in any of his stories or in any of his real life events. And that was a really, again, sort of where we started. This question, this examination was important to me to understand why we do what we do as writers. Why do we pour so much of ourselves and so much of our time into something that has a very high risk of not coming to fruition, not being published, not being seen. And, and here was a person who had lived that disaster, so to speak. So I felt he had to tell that story and the story needed to be taken to the extreme that it could taken to? What is one willing to sacrifice for something of that nature? And what are the things one, one is not willing to sacrifice? And to understand those tensions and those dilemmas in a work that in a lot of ways was really his story to tell.
0: So did you answer for yourself the question of why we write?
1: I think it's a hugely complicated question. It's certainly something that I wanted to explore as deeply as I possibly could, pushing my characters far to the edges, I could push them. Did I answer the question? I'm not sure there's a simple answer to that question. Otherwise, it would probably be a very short, short story.
0: I am struck by the way that you deal with Stalinist Russia. I, I was listening to an interview with Masha Gasson recently, and she talks about Hitler and Stalinist monsters, and at the end of the interview, she's asked if she thinks that these two leaders today are monsters, and she says, yes, they are. They're modern-day monsters. Which is a long way of asking you about how you feel about how this novel now resonates.
1: I think, like all of us who are engaged in the appreciation or the generation of literature and writing as an art, be it nonfiction or creative nonfiction, Fiction, I think we're all very concerned about where we are today under our current president and on this world stage where regimes like Putin's are there as an example for where things could go. I completely appreciate that we lack the history that Russia has that probably made it very easy for them to slip into their current um, situation. That being said, so early on, I'm sure we were all acutely aware of all the attacks on artists, on actors, comedians, the media. It's remarkable. I think in many ways is a cult of personality, but in other ways it's also a pointed attack. Uh, I think it goes beyond just a bruised ego. I think it is something more serious than that. And we need to be mindful. We need to fight back. And many people are, are not bending and not backing down. But it's very concerning.
0: What do you think about the future for you? Do you think you'll continue writing historical fiction? Do you have the subject of your next novel? Do you know?
1: So I finished this novel May of 15. And so I've been working on my next one, which is set in the south during the first half of the 20th century and it is a work of historical fiction am I going to continue to write historical fiction I don't know I like historical fiction but I think I'll just take it one novel at a time but yes I've I'm I don't want to say I'm close to completing my next novel but it's it's pretty far along I'm feeling very strong about it
0: and are you writing stories as well no, I'm
1: not anymore. I used to, when I was working on the Kella Margarita, I would occasionally take time and write a short story. I haven't been. I've been pretty immersed.
0: And now some advice for beginning writers. Did you find it was really helpful for you to be part of a literary community, for you as a beginning writer, to be out among other writers?
1: It was absolutely inset- essential. Uh, I mean, we're very fortunate in Boston we have Grub Street, but it was a... Uh, um, a means to take classes, to attend seminars, to meet other writers, to form writers groups. I think it's, and I know I, I subscribe to this misconception for a number of years that, you know, writers were born, they weren't taught, that one could sit in a room and generate the perfect, close to perfect novel. Early on when I was starting, I came across a Again, my same father-in-law who collected uh, scientific Americans. I was reading through one of his old issues and came across a story about chess masters. And again, I assume chess masters. You're born a chess master or you're not. That's simple. And no, turns out they are trained. They are mentored. They are trained. You can learn to be a chess master, given a reasonable amount of intelligence. And this to me was striking. It, It was my call to find myself some teachers, to find myself a community to make this happen. Either I was going to make it happen or I was going to stop pretending to try. And so I I strongly believe in the value of a literary community. It makes all the difference. I I actually subscribe to the uh, apprenticeship model where it takes seven years to become good enough to sell your work and get money. And I think it's the same kind of premise, though. And and I think in, in working for those seven years, you have to work with uh, "Quote unquote master," you have to find yourself teachers and learn how to do things well, and uh, so it's uh, that—that's my philosophy. But I think it's essentially the same.
0: Thank you so much, Julie, for taking the time to do this interview with us. I know we had discussed having you read a bit from your novel. And we had talked about different sections. I'm curious to know what you decided.
1: So I'm going to read a section from Michaela Margarita, close to the beginning of the book. When the story begins, Michele is at a restaurant at the Writers' Union with his friend and mentor, Osip Mandelstam. Later that evening, Osip Mandelstam is arrested for a poem he has written. While they're at that restaurant together, Michele meets for the first time the woman that he has been interested in named Margarita. Later, Michaela Margarita go through Mandelstam's apartment trying to salvage and save some of his work from the secret police. This chapter, chapter 4, is a bit in Margarita's voice. One of the poems Margarita found at the Mandelstam's apartment had been written about her. She had kept it apart from those she had given to Bogakov. She recognized the early draft, different from the published one. It was an early version of his love. Reading it reminded her more sharply of its dissipation. They had taken risks in being together. She remembered a midsummer party at Nadia's parents' farm. She hadn't planned to attend, but he had insisted. Even if they couldn't be together, he wanted to be able to see her in that landscape. She remembered Nadia pretending not to know, or perhaps fortifying herself against it. And she likewise pretending. She remembered their embrace, the pressure of the other woman's arm against the back of her neck, their speaking of some childhood memory they shared as though they were actually talking about it. Osip approached them then, greeting her, slipping an arm around his wife's waist. Margarita blushed, and he beamed, as though it was his doing. All seemed dangerously transparent. Later, when his visits to her apartment came less frequently, she sensed in him a recalculation of these risks. She remembered him telling the story of a former lover who had burned his belongings. He described looking down from his apartment one morning and seeing the clothes he had left with her, the books, a notebook, a few gifts, a flame in the street. He smiled as one who was mildly perplexed, yet not sufficiently bothered by the mystery to give it more thought. I would never do such a thing, said Margarita. His expression was of muted skepticism. How could either of them know of what she might be capable under those unexplored circumstances? Why did she hate you so much? She asked. I have no idea. He responded as if the thought itself was exhausting. How was it that this man, who could not commit a lie to the page, found it so easy to lie to her? Several months later, she would ask why he didn't simply break it off with her. Why not say the words, say that he didn't want her anymore? He ran a finger up the length of her thigh. Of course he wanted her, he said. He looked amused at her misery. Who wouldn't want this, he said, trying to push his finger through the fabric of her undergarments. She shoved him away and he caught up to leave. What's wrong with you, she said. He'd rather invite her hatred. He'd rather she set fire to his possessions. Somehow it was easier this way. Somehow he could go on writing poems about love.